back to Wild Mamas and I'm too late project. Today we're starting episode seven where we will review Genesis chapters thirty-one through thirty-five. So I thought that to start this episode I would go all the way back to the basics, but basics that maybe you might not have learned uh, before. So there are multiple theories on how the Bible was put together. Um, and one of them is this theory. Uh, it can't be proven. Uh, there's a lot of different biblical scholars that have written extensively about this. But uh, one of the theories is that there are multiple, and I don't want to say authors, I just want to say maybe redactors that have put their source texts together, and that is what is combined uh, to be the version that we read today. Um, so there are different sources that have different lenses, and so altogether is a compendium of the story that we have. And so um, one source uh, is the J source, um, and that's the Yahwistic source. And so there are different characteristics there. And in that source, that is the, those redactors are coming from the southern kingdom um, of Judah. And so there are certain markers, and um, I'm going to point some out as we go through this episode and the next episode, uh, so that we can see if we can start to, to see these different voices and lenses as we go through the text. So some of the things, like if you're reading it on English translation, this is where you're going to see the Yehovahe version. There are different names for God throughout the entire uh, Tanakh. And so this is the J text, the J sources, typically the one that uses that form. They'll use the word, you know, the translation in English is usually Lord. Um, when they're talking about, um, as we get further along into the text, the, every time you see the word Sinai, uh, that's going to be from a J source. Uh, there's usually some anthropomorphizing of God, so uh, describing God using characteristics of people. Uh, so that's uh, a characteristic there. And uh, the people from the land um, will be called um, Canaanites. So those are some of them. Another text is the Elohist source, so that's the E source. Uh, they're from the northern kingdom. Uh, they refer to uh, God as Elohim uh, instead of Sinai, as we will see in the J sources. Uh, they'll use Mount Horeb, for example. Um, the folks in the land are not Canaanites, they refer to them as Amorites. Um, and God, where in J sources, God may take on the characteristics of people, uh, God speaks to people in dreams. Uh, so that is actually going to be a theme that comes up a lot um, in this episode, as well as the next uh, set of chapters. Uh, then we have the D source, which we're not going to see. Um, right now, um, but that is the Deuteronomic, Deuteronomistic uh, source, which is more concerned with 
Israel's history, um, and it's usually written as a cycle of the forgiveness of God, the renewal of the covenants, people fail and are punished. So, like, you'll see that cycle. Um, it's concerned also uses Horeb um, and Mount Sinai. It is also concerned with the laws and moral code. So we'll mostly see this throughout Deuteronomy when we get there. Um, and the peace source is the priestly source. Um, and so this, uh, t these texts were recorded um, and they come from like the, the post-exile period. Uh, they're more concerned with temple cults, the temple cults and worship features. They're also from the Southern Kingdom and the priestly source um, is really concerned with the Levite role. Uh, there, you'll know it because this is where you'll see genealogy, focus on tribal lists. Um, and so we, when we're talking about that in the P sources, there's going to be the majesty of God, the focus on creation, all of those. And if you put them, that's the later uh, version of the Hebrew language. The J and E sources are the earliest stages of biblical Hebrew, then P. Um, and there's the J source comes later. So, well, the J source is first. Um, so, yeah, so they're from Judah. That's the southern kingdom. The E source is from Israel, northern kingdom. So I'll come back to this as uh, we get into the text. But I thought that maybe this could be some food for thought as you're reading it, because there are different lenses, different perspectives, different, um, there's different politics that go into telling the stories from the different perspectives. So if that's something that you're interested in, I can definitely uh, unpack those a little bit more as we go through, but let's see what we can hear. So this week's chapter starts with chapter 31. Um, and so we know that uh, at the end of chapter 30, where we left off, was Jacob has used his magic or whatever um, to dupe uh, or to stack the cards uh, in his favor and get just about all of Laban's wealth. Um, so we open chapter 31. This, I will say, starts off, this is an E source. Um, so the Laban sons are lamenting that Jacob has pretty much taken everything away from Laban. Um, and we also have here that God uh, appears here in a dream. Um, and tells Jacob to go back to his father's land, back to his birthplace. So this is uh, the opposite um, of what his forefathers have been told, where they have been told to leave their father's land and the place of their birth. So this is uh, this, the opposite. He's been now told to return. Um, here we also have Rachel and Leah are questioning whether uh, they'll also get an inheritance since Jacob now has everything. Um, and Laban is, you know, feeling like he's been wronged here. Jacob, um, yeah, he's taken all of his stuff and he's just like, how, how why have you done me like this? Um, and I guess he's praying to his God and the God of Jacob intervenes in a dream um, and tells him to watch what he says and to you know tread lightly when he's 
talking to him. And then we see that there is a there's a missing tarot thumb, right? So Rachel steals it, um, steals this idol uh, from Laban. She hides it. She says that, you know, you know, her dad is coming and looking for it. And he, you know, when he comes to her tent, says, um, you know, I can't get up right now. I'm having my lady time. And that is displeasing. So you know, they think that you know everybody thinks that periods are gross and dirty. So he goes away. So then the Laban and Jacob start to fight. Um, and there is a promise here uh, that says, "Let the one who stole your god not live." So obviously Jacob does not know that his beloved Rachel is the one who has stolen this thing. Um, Jacob tells the story, uh, you know, because Laban is like, you know, you've taken everything from me and now you're taking my little idols also. Have you not taken enough? And Jacob is responding by, you know, retelling the story of his treatment and said, if it were up to you, I would have nothing. And so I have like made this name for myself. Why would I take this from you? Like, I have no reason to do that. So they're quarreling. Then they decide to call a truce. Um, they put a pile of stones and a pillar as the witness, um, or covenant, you know, of the promise that they have made over this, whoever stole it is going to die. So, you know, they're quashing it, um, and they evoke the gods of, uh, their forefathers. So Nahor, so Laban evokes the god of, or the gods of Nahor's people, and Jacob gods, the god of Abraham's people. So they are acknowledging that there are other gods um, in this. Remember, we're still not yet a monotheistic people at this point. The Israelites are not a thing yet, um, and they are definitely not monotheistic. So you see these themes that do come from the customs of the ancient Near East that are still existing very much. There's pillars and promises and rituals, um, and all of those things. So that still is very much a part of it. Um, and that is pretty much the end of chapter 31. So one of those things that you'll see, if you want to go back and read it, you'll see that in this uh, chapter 31, there's, there's a few dreams. And so that's sort of a nod to this idea of the e-text. Uh, because that is one of the characteristics of those texts that God speaks to people in dreams. So, in comes chapter 32. Jacob is preparing to leave uh, again. Uh, so there's a mix here of E and J, but uh, we open up here with uh, Jacob preparing to leave and angels coming to him in a dream. So here we have that evidence again. Uh, we know that Esau is coming back into the story um, in order for Jacob to get to his destination, that land of his father. Uh, he has to pass through Esau's land, and obviously he's not wanting to do that uh, because that's why he fled in the first place. So he sends a peace offering. Um, so he sends some sheep and cattle and 
money and all of this stuff ahead of him to try to get in the favor of Esau. Um, and he also sends 400 people, men, uh, for him. He sends a messenger. Um, you know, he's just saying, you know, Jacob is, you know, he's very remorseful about what happened. Uh, like, please don't tell him. Um, but Jacob also is planning ahead. He sends 400 people. And so he sent like half of the people that are in his, under him. And he's figuring that if Esau is going to, uh, enact the revenge that he wanted to in the first place, that he would just kill all these people and they would be insignificant. And then Jacob would know where he stands. So he sends these people, uh, first. Um, so he makes sure that he sends his wives last. And so this comes up, this is going to come up again. Uh, there's going to be this theme here of the order that people are sent because you're sending, um, folks potentially that you're not so attached to first, uh, just in case they're killed. Um, people in the back will be those that are favored. And usually when we have caravans of this nature, it is the wives and children that are bringing up the rear so that they are the most protected. Um, so uh, essentially here we have um, E takes, I mean, J takes over for a second, but tells the story where um, he's intentionally sending his wives last um, and then he spends the night. He falls asleep. And he is definitely uh, in emotional turmoil. And here we have, um, he falls asleep and he's going to wrestle um, with his feelings. Um, he's alone. He's, you know, taking stock of whatever he has left. And it says that Jacob wrestles um, with a man. Uh, until dawn, um, I wonder, uh, most people uh, interpret that he is asleep, perhaps, uh, that he's just doing this wrestling in a dream. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to interpret, but, you know, I've read a lot of different commentaries on it, whether it's like he's wrestling with um, his inner demons because of, you know, his guilt over what he did to Esau and stealing his inheritance and stealing birthright, all of those things, and now he's going to be confronted with a person who, he's, who he literally had this whole life um, set up uh, to escape in the first place, and he's dealing with that. Um, so there's a lot of metaphorical ways that you can think about that, but in the text, what it says is that he wrestles uh, with a man that appeared before him. Um, we do know, we can assume that this is a supernatural being it's an angel perhaps and it's not actually a person um what does happen though is that his hip jacob's hip is pulled out of uh, its socket and i think that i one of the things that i really thought about here is that um it says that the hand was placed on the inner thigh and pulled um which is interesting uh, to note that earlier um this gesture was described as one um, and so that handshaking thing, where putting the hand on the inner thigh um, 
was a sign of trust and it was the way that the servant um, made that promise to Isaac, in fact, um, to, uh, before he went off to find uh, a wife. Um, so I think that that's very interesting that this exact same gesture is being flipped on its head. Um, and it brings it back to this idea um, from my last episode, I believe, uh, where I just wonder whether or not all of this was a blessing or a curse um, in the end for Jacob. So this is just food for thought. Um, but in this, he has this affliction um, and his name is also changed here, just like uh, Abram changes to Abraham. But after this moment of wrestling, whether it is physical wrestling, angel, emotional wrestling, um, there is a transformation that happens both physically um, and in name. Uh, his name changes from Jacob to Israel. Um, he does walk with a limp for the rest of his days, it is described. Um, and this is also used uh, to explain why I think that it's now it's the tenderloin part of a uh, beef. Like there's a part of animals that that kosher keeping individuals do not eat because it's thought to mirror the sinew tendon area of Jacob and his thigh um, from then. So symbolically, folks do not eat that to this day. Um, so this land um, was called Peniel um, because he was face to face um, with God in this moment, um, which also lends itself to um, this not being a physical person, the shots like some folks will read it in the simplest form and say, like, he really was wrestling with a person, but this lends uh, thinking to say that it wasn't a person, it was an angel. Um, so, and now we're coming into uh, chapter 33, and so he's woken up, it is the next day, and he is moving the rest, he's describing, like, how the rest of his party moves across the river to into Aesop's land, and I think that it's very interesting and important to note that order, um, because it is definitely folks are moved in order of importance. Note that when he moves his family, the first people to go across, and thinking in his mind, he has already sent 400 folks and the next round of folks over, just in case Asa kills them first. So first, he sends over um, Bilka and Zilpa and their children. Then he sends Leah and her children. Then he goes. Then he sends Rachel and Joseph. So I think that it's interesting that he even places himself before his beloved Rachel and Joseph. So if we're thinking about um, what is going to come next, <laughs> actually, in the next episode um in the next set of chapters with the favor and favoritism like this is a theme when you're putting one set of children or one child above your other children or one wife above the other ones it does not work well this is not parenting advice or partnering advice here that we're not getting that from jacob so even he so that if there were harm to come to anyone it would even come to him before rachel and joseph um 
they get into Esau's land. He rejects the peace offering. He's like, I'm good. I have everything that I need. Um, Jacob has this moment where he sees Esau and he says that your face is like seeing God, uh, God's face. Um, so that's sort of a nod also to what happened to him the evening before that he was wrestling with this angel. He's wrestling and he's interpreting that as being uh, the face of God that he saw, or God's representative, typically an angel, um, and that he sees that in Esau, which I find interesting that that description of him would be in the text here since Esau is so hated. Um, and we saw in previous chapters how he was, um, I guess, you know, when I'm recording this Passover is uh, a couple of weeks away. And so he would be described as the Rasha. He is not the good son. He's the evil son who uh, was not favored. Uh, Rebecca hated him. Um, so it's just very interesting that in this moment, he's described as seeing his face was like seeing the face of God, um, which is pretty high praise. So then Jacob and Esau journey together some ways. Um, and there is a moment here um, where it's described all of the stops because he's given this direction and he is stalling quite a bit. Uh, and this happens on his journey to Padan Aram, which is described as Laban's lands. Uh, he didn't go straight there either, um, but he is dilly-dallying. It's described that he stops uh, in a place uh, called Sukkot. He tents there for a while. Um, then he finally uh, gets to Shechem. Um, so it says here, um, I'm using it as my preparation for this. I was reading uh, the Bible with Sources Revealed by Richard Elliot Friedman. Uh, and there's a note here that uh, it pops in. There's the there's another, there's a couple of other sources that I did not ma mention, but one is the official redactor. And there's a sort of note uh, here, which is to symbolize just how long it took Jacob to actually follow directions um, and get and gets to his destination. So that ends chapter 33. That was a short one. Um, and then we get to chapter 34, which opens right away um, with uh, the rape of Dina. Um, so they are in the land of Shechem, and Shechem, the person, um, assaults her and then decides that uh, he must have her. Uh, his, his soul uh, clung to her. So whether he loves her, whatever he wants to have her, um, Jacob finds out what happens to her, doesn't do anything, um, mind you. So he, he assaults her, he takes her, and he has her. Um, Shechem has her. Jacob finds out about it. He doesn't really do anything. Um, but his sons, um, Simeon and Levi, do. Those are Dina's brothers. They are infuriated. And so they're doubly, they're not just infuriated about the fact that this happened to their sister, but they're also infuriated at the fact that their father is not doing anything about it. And so they decide to act. So Shechem and his father go to Jacob and the brothers, and they're like, we need to have. Dina, we must have her. 
Um, and um, they're like, name your price, whatever, like name a high price, whatever the price is, we will pay it. Um, and so the price is named. Uh, they said that you've done this, you've defiled, and you're not even of our people. Uh, and so they demand that every male get circumcised so that clearly this is not uh, too high of a price. So every man in Shechem gets circumcised, and on the third day of their recovery, they are healing it, they are in a lot of pain, and then Simeon and Levi kill every one of them. Um, so they come in, they kill every male, uh, they take their sister back, and they violently then take like all of their wealth, their livestock, um, they take, they capture, so they violently capture, um, the wives and infants, the babies that are left. Um, but this is something that Jacob, that upsets Jacob in the end. Um, they have defended their sister's honor and they're just like, you just wanted to let her be a prostitute or a whore. That's it. Comes up later. Um, and it's just very interesting because that's the last line of the chapter and it doesn't really um, address this, but it's going to come back um, that this is something that was not favorable uh, because on Jacob's deathbed, this comes back in uh, when he's doling out the blessings and curses to each of his children. This is, this moment is evoked. So it's just really interesting that I wonder um, what it was about this that, um, was displeasing or why Jacob didn't do anything, why he didn't act um, to protect his child, um, the only girl that is named. And remember from when she was born, if we're taking, you know, all of those, there's a lot of trauma that is attached to her um, and how special Dina was in that if we take the Madrash and we take that section from the Talmud to heart, uh, that, you know, she was supposed to be one of the, one of the boys and her mother, Leah, uh, prayed to God, uh, to have her gender changed so that, uh, his beloved Rachel, um, could have part of the inheritance. Um, and, you know, that's how Joseph was born, um, because of Dina's birth, because otherwise, uh, Rachel wouldn't have had any of the 12 tribes at that point. Uh, so it's just very interesting that either this is something that Leah knew, uh, didn't share, who knows, it was between God and Leah, maybe Jacob didn't know it, um, but of all of his children, Dina is pretty special. Um, so it's just it's something, it's just food for thought on why, like, was it bad diplomatically? Uh, because they are going back into a land that he hasn't been in in many, many, many years, decades. Uh, is it a bad diplomatic move? Um, like, I just wonder what the cost was uh, for him if he had acted and why it was so bad. Um, so that is uh, chapter 34. Chapter 35 opens with a dream sequence. So, da da. This is an E source. Um, so a, God comes to Jacob in a dream, tells him to get up, go to Bethel, uh, live there, make an altar, um, 
to the God that appeared the night that he left home in the first place. Um, so there is this. Um, this is a reminder that this is the same God that he is supposed to be praying to. This is the God now. He has accumulated a lot more people because now I guess all of the wives from Shechem are now part of his tribe or have been absorbed into his people. He tells everybody to get rid of all of their idols. And they come to lose, um, which I will mention in a moment. And we're back. Okay, so they come to the city called Luz, which is very interesting. Uh, when we get here much later, um, I, there's an interesting kind of fun story um, that involves King Solomon and the Angel of Death. Um, and uh, someone else who was sent to this city. Uh, it's a very interesting story coming up, um, and probably in like a year or so. Um, in this dream, God reaffirms Jacob's name change. This is a P source uh, because we want to make sure they want to, this source text wants to make sure that we're establishing this the lineage of this name. Um, the covenant is reaffirmed. Uh, in this spot, uh, a pillar is built, uh, wine, a wine offering is made, and an oil offering is made. Um, then Jacob, now Israel, uh, travels from Bethel. Uh, Rachel has a very difficult childbirth and dies. A pillar is placed on her grave, by the side of her grave, on the side of the road. Um, this is... Um, you know, so we're just also establishing customs. So I mentioned those specifically just because um, these are things that we see and that we've held um, in Jewish practice today uh, when we bless, you know, wine, uh, oil offerings that come up uh, in Hanukkah, uh, which we can talk about another time. Uh, also putting headstones or gravestones um, on the spot that people are buried at. Uh, so these are all just things. Uh, when we think about customs that we still have in the religious traditions that we have now, uh, when we think about uh, wine also appearing uh, in Catholicism and other religions that, so in Catholicism also there's wine, uh, is sacred. Uh, so there's a lot of different things if we're thinking about these as threads that we carry through our traditions back from uh, these source texts. So just also food, food for thought there. Um, so Rachel has died. Uh, Reuben, it is described, um, hooks up with Bilcha, who is down Tali's mom, Rachel's maid, so not Zilpah, who was his mom's handmaiden. It was Rachel's handmaiden. This is also displeasing. Um, to Jacob. This also is going to come back. Uh, despite what Reuben is going to try to do in the next set of chapters, in next week's chapters, um, this comes back on Jacob's deathbed again this moment. 
um, we're then reminded of the 12 tribes. So if you could guess, if you're following along, the P source is the source um, that is it concerned with genealogy and lineage. So this uh, source text is woven in here. Um, we're reminded of the 12 tribes, who their mothers were, uh, and, and that they were born in uh, Padam, Padan Aram, which is Laban's land. So Ben Yaman, Benjamin, was not um, born in the same place that everybody else was born. Um, also, his name was Ben Oni. Uh, when he was born, and his father renamed him Benjamin. Um, and then they make it all the way back to Isaac. Isaac dies when he's 180 years old. Esau and Jacob come back together to bury him, uh, which is cute because that is what happened. Um, Isaac and Ishmael also came back together to bury Abraham. So when we're thinking about uh, things that happened happen even today, uh, no matter what is going on in a family, um, when it comes to the death of a parent or an important person in the family, even if sides of the family are warring, um, they come back and they put it aside uh, in order to bury that person. Um, so it's just, it's just uh, lovely that this happened with Isaac and Ishmael, and then with Isaac's sons as well, with Jacob and Esau being together and mending those fences enough to be able to be there in that moment to bury their father. And this is the end of episode seven of the chapter. So, uh, 